Hello and welcome to the latest Back of the Nav podcast. I'm Adam Lewis and in the studio today, in addition to being joined by my co-manager, Julian Ma, we are delighted to be joined by uh, Francois de Bruyne, who is co-manager of the Aviva Global Equity Endurance Fund. Francois, thank you so much for joining us today. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. It's good to be here. Excellent, excellent. Now, before we look back at game week eight, which proved to be another positive week for back of the nav, uh, Jules, any word from our sponsor this week? Uh, for our sponsor, Committed Asset Management, we do have a word. It's rethink. Um, clearly, uh, with ESG proving so problematic and so difficult for people to understand and uh, get their heads around, apparently now we're finding out um, the chairman's going back. Uh, he's got his focus groups in. He's in, in committee trying to find a new word uh, that to take over from ethical, sustainable, SRI, impact, um, or responsible, all these fun and games. Um, something that really means something, that really gets through to both investors and obviously sales and marketing teams, um, because that's obviously important in asset management too um so far um, they, all they've come up with is nice uh so we may uh, we, we're struggling at the moment but we'll um we'll get back to you next week and let you know if there is a new word of the day uh, we'll look forward to that we'll look forward to that so time to look back as it were um and there's a lot to digest from the last game week a week in which many players myself included uh activated the wild card button in an effort to turn their fortunes around and a week which saw a lot of commentary on the merits of owning the most owned player in the league, a certain Erling Haaland. Now, for our regular listeners, if there are any, our ability to own the big Norwegian or not own the big Norwegian has been well documented. Namely, we can't own players with a TSB team selected by of over 30 percent. Now, what such was the popularity of last season's top scorer that by game week seven, his ownership had hit 92.7%. However, as teams, or funds as we call them, looked forward at a potentially tough run of games for City, in addition to many teams looking at different captain options, um, a, a lot of people went for Son last week, many also off looked to offload the City asset and free up cash in their own portfolios. The result is that, as recorded, Haaland's TSB has dropped to a season low of 88.4%. Now, of course, that's still a staggeringly high number, but after blanking against Arsenal on the weekend, it seems more players are starting to come round to the back of the nav way of thinking and plotting returns outside of the obvious. Jules, does this make us pioneers? I think it does. I think it makes us pioneers in the asset management sense uh, that um, basically you come up with an idea, ignore everyone else who's come up behind you before you with the same idea and you claim to be a pioneer as we've seen at ESG over the last uh, five years or so. So a quick look at performance and it was another week of green arrows after just the one change made. The team gained 56 points for the week, beating the average of 44 with the end result being a game week rank of 1.6 million which is firmly first quarter. Now, if we run the numbers since launch, sorry, it was just too easy to slip into the fun talk. Uh, the overall back of the nav is now 6.8 million out of 10.1 million uh, with a team total of 385 points. Um, so, yeah, still pushing firmly third quarter since inception. Jules, where did we go right and where did we go wrong last week? And talk us through the benchmark. Well, uh, we did go go right in a, in a couple of places, and let let's start with uh, Jordan Pickford in goal, um, first clean sheet, uh, eighth time out. 
Um, it's solid proof that uh, even a stop clock is right twice uh, twice a day. So um, we kept on going there, mainly because we couldn't bring ourselves to transfer out. And finally, finally, um, save points, bonus points, clean sheet, happy, happy days. Uh, also good uh, with uh, with Adogi and uh, Saliba both uh, picking up clean sheets, a bit of bonus points. Shah not coming through for Newcastle, but solid from the defence. Um, up front, Watkins with his traditional assist. Alvarez having a bit of a bad day. Wilson just still recovering from injury and Isaac taking all the glory. So not so good there. Uh, and then in midfield, we bench and Waymo Diaz um, still not getting back his um, his karma from the disallowed goal that we don't talk about against Spurs. Uh, got two, Fernandez two, but I think looking forward to Sheffield United. We'll see what happens there. And then our traditional uh, curse of the vice-captain. We put Salah as vice-captain, Son as captain. I don't think it was necessarily the wrong decision uh, in process, but it turned out in practice. Salah got 15 and Son doubled up to six. But um, 56, not too bad uh, versus certainly versus our old benchmark team, which, um, as as you know, I try and construct a uh, uh, £100 million worth of talent from the most uh, picked players uh, across the game. So they had um, the benchmark had Ariola in goal. Uh, he's on 33% of teams now and um, just the one point. Stupinan uh, was uh, I- injured. Uh, Trippier got six. Uh, he's got 40%. He's, he's shot up there from 35% to 42% now. Um, he got a clean, oh no, he got an assist, didn't he? That's right. So he did okay there on his traditional bonus. Saliba overlapped with us. We can still own him. Um, I've got Lamptey and Kabori on the bench for this particular one to help out elsewhere. And then in midfield, uh, Saka didn't play. Batoma did a little bit. Madison got six points with that assist. Uh, Rashford and Waymo, just the two points in each going through their tricky time. Um, but they're still most owned, apart from the one cheat, I'm afraid. I can't couldn't fit Salah in. I've got him in for next time um, with some uh, tinkering, but I couldn't get him in. He's 32% owned last week, uh, nipping up to, what is he now, 35% owned, so moving up through the ranks. Uh, but then up front, Haaland, we go uh, 91% at the time. So he captained him to four points. Alvarez, two. Archer on the bench. With, oh, no, didn't he? We literally laid Archer as well, actually. We had to because of all the injuries in defence. And um, yeah, so the benchmark team got a massive 34. So again, looking good for uh, back of the nav. Um, the only other point I think I'd add in, I was um, looking back uh, the week before adding and, and was immensely impressed. We, we didn't have a bad uh, game, but uh, one of our colleagues at, at work, uh, Jack, uh, had a commercial on portfolio advisor. He got massive 85 points and you just look at it going, oh my God, that's fantastic. How did you think to uh, Captain Odegaard? And, you know, you did have Watkins in and there you are, you know, sort of top 100,000 in, 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 in the world for that week. And he looked at me absolutely amused and asked what I was talking about. And I said, well, you know, fancy league, how, how brilliant. And he said, oh, I haven't looked at that since the first day of the season. So I don't know what that says about all our hard work, our endeavours. I mean, it says, I, I know what it says, but we just have to ignore it and keep on doing it, keep on doing our team, doing our podcast and tinkering and having fun. But uh, yes, to be absolutely spanked like that, it's a bit depressing. Did you, um, just sort of quickly, did you notice any sort of change in the benchmark because of the sheer number of wildcards last season? Has, did it, uh, had it changed much? It's uh, the the benchmark. You can see a couple of you know. It's it's the obvious Lampty. one, really. See, and is going down. Rashford is going down. Um, last week, who was coming up? Salah was coming up. Son was coming up. Watkins, Cash. I mean, it, it's what you'd expect, really. It's the crowd. Yeah. It's not the wisdom of crowds. It's the madness of crowds, and 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 everyone just following the points. Um, this week, for example, you can see. I mean, Son is up to thirty four percent. Watkins up to thirty percent. Um, so we wouldn't have been able to buy him if we hadn't already. Uh, defenders, everyone's a bit confused. Although for next week's benchmark at the moment, I mean, just to run through it, Ariola 
um, 35%. At Stupu, he's just down from 60% to 35%. So obviously, he's all left almost every wild card. Trippier is huge, 46 Cash is the one who's really shot in at 31 And we can play Dogi, actually, is, is the fourth most popular um, now. At, um, oh, no, I put him in because he's cheap at 20%. That's right. Because um, then that allows me Saka, still on 50 despite the injury. And I think, you know, he'll, he's probably not going anywhere. Matoma, because Brighton have that great run of red games coming up. Madison, 40%. Salah, 35%. So um, that, it's a pretty scary benchmark to even Haaland, 89% or 88% when we, as, as, as we looked at the numbers and Alvarez still up front, despite that um, awkward run of games. But I think you'll see people seem to be switching to 3-4-3 three, three just to help them out there and maybe having a bit of, or maybe Haaland, Alvarez and Watkins up front. As you say, it's, I, I, you know, yes, it's there are fewer people investing, slightly fewer people investing in Haaland, but uh, you know that that basically nine out of ten for, and uh, for managers there, I slipped into to nine out of ten players uh, are still investing in Haaland because of the fear factor, aren't they? And also, yeah. sorry to be fair, he also scored what against those teams, those difficult teams he's up against. I think I saw somewhere he scored about eighty-five points against the same five teams last year. You know, yeah, he scored twice think... against Arsenal last season, didn't he? Um, and Son's ownership, that's staggering, isn't it? Because we picked him up at 4%. So to see him go up to 34%, we are going to have to start thinking about our sale process. It's all very weird, man. But he has, no, you know, I, we do look at the fixtures and Spurs Spurs going forward have some great fixtures. And again, pioneers in getting him first. Pioneers, um, there's that word again. So time to introduce our guest. Um, Francois is co-manager of the Global Equity Endurance Fund and manager of the Stewardship International Equity Fund. Um, having started his investment career in 2011 as an investment analyst, analyst at Bridge Fund Managers, he joined Aviva in 2014 and has also previously managed sustainable income and growth and listed real estate portfolios. However, away from the running equity portfolios, my notes tells me Francois comes from a sporting family in South Africa, with his father being a professional rugby coach, coaching the uh, Johannesburg Lions, and being the Springbok attack coach leading up to the previous World Rugby World Cup. Um, so, Francois, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Let's kick off with the obvious. Do you play FBL? And if so, how's tricks going this season? Yeah, so I do play on and off, uh, have uh, done so for the last really 10 years, um, managed to be persuaded by by um, one of my brothers to join uh, the family pool this season. And so far, so good. I'm top of the family pool and I'm top of the Aviva Investors equity pool. So I've got the uh, I've got the uh, the pride intact for now. Um, so yeah, I do play, although I must admit it's, it's a bit of a kind of side gig for me, um, just because the time commitment is, is so significant, but, um, yeah, it's, uh, it really all sports, as you highlighted, there's a passion of mine. So this is obviously one that straddles the world of sports and risk reward and probabilities. So yeah, something I, I, I actually do enjoy doing. Well, you mentioned you mentioned risk reward, Francois. Although Adam, as a side note, can we can we make sure we don't get people who are doing significantly better than us in the league and not spending much time on it? I just think it's a bad look, isn't it? I mean, I know we're getting experts in, but apparently, you know, Francois is spending five minutes a week on it, and that's a two million players, six million places higher up the league. That's embarrassing. But um, let, let let's see what we can learn from this, from the from the um, the, the fund manager approach, from actually being rather good at doing this approach. But so as a high conviction global equity manager, what parallels would you draw between balancing risk and reward in investment and, of course, in fantasy Premier League? Um, well, yeah, just coming back to kind of the original concept of it being a, a game of risk and reward, I think 
And it's interesting to listen to you guys because it's fantastic that it sounds like you clearly have a plan, uh, and certainly your plan <laughs> to be, <laughs> and your plan is to be different um, to to the market effectively, um, which is interesting. But just remember, the point of FPL is to actually maximise points over the season. So, even though you might think that Haaland you know, is over-owned, I think the point for me is he's a fantastic player. So I think the risk reward of owning Haaland outright, um, and regardless of fixture really um so my kind of strategy is from a from a from an fpl perspective is to try and maximize points long term and so given my own time commitments i've i know that i'm not going to be on top of every game on top of every player so my strategy is pretty simple uh, i select the, the two or three best players as i see them and i think these are the guys who can accumulate the most points over the season um these are your harland sala Saka, in my view i think can really score against any team and then from there, it's more of a team kind of based approach. So I think that I've got a, my edge is actually selecting which teams are more likely to beat other teams as opposed to which players will contribute the most. So that's kind of the way I've set myself up in terms of making changes. So if I then think about which other players I might add, I think every season we kind of go through these phases where there are mispriced teams. So think about the kind of Leicester of old or West Ham in previous years. This year, I think Brighton's a good example of that where, you know, there are opportunities where players are probably too cheap for how many games they're likely to win. And then finally, I back that up with kind of defenders, which is almost solely based on which teams I think are the, are the most likely to keep clean sheets and then which players are most likely to play. So that's really my strategy. It's not uh, particularly scientific, but it is kind of common sense and also appropriate for kind of how much time I have. Uh, and so far, I think as you guys highlighted it, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. I mean, top 3%, I think is something I'd take if you, if you offer that to me at the start of the season. Um, but if we then if we then turn our lens to my my vocation, which is obviously fund management and portfolio management, the game is quite different. So if you think about FPL, we are trying to maximize points over the full season. And within um, equity portfolio management, yes, we want to deliver alpha long term. So most of our mandates stipulated on that rolling five-year time horizon. So absolutely we want to maximize return. But equally, the second consideration in investments is actually we need to think about the risk reward. How are those returns actually delivered? And if we think about that from a strategic perspective, the risk reward profile actually changes completely in the investment world because in FPL, I'm trying to maximize my points over the full season. In the investment world, actually, the the, the odds change. And if we think about the propensity for companies and values to go up or down, because if my investment goes down, 50%, if I want to recover my investment, I actually need it to go up 100% just to recover my initial amount. And so the risk reward is quite different. So as if we think about applying the same parallels to investments, actually the rules are quite different because the risk reward has changed. And so if we think about what's then required to tilt the odds in your favor, actually we think predictability, downside protection in the first instance, tilts the odds in your favor. And so there's actually a, a fascinating essay uh, um, written by a guy called Charles Ellis back in 1995 called The Loser's Game. And basically he, he looks at tennis um, in, 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 in that paper. I think it's from a book called Extraordinary Tennis for the Ordinary Tennis Player. And effectively the thesis is this, is that if you're an amateur playing tennis, you're actually playing two games, how many winners you hit and how many unforced errors you make. And in tennis, if you're an amateur like I am, actually, if you want to win more games, the point is to make 
fewer unforced errors. Make fewer errors and you're more likely to beat your opponent. As you then migrate into the professional leagues, your Djokovic's other world, actually there you need to be hitting winners in order to be to be winning games. And so if we apply that then to the investment world, again, because of that risk reward, downside protection and return dynamic I've, I've explained, actually protection, downside mitigation in the first instance makes a lot of sense strategically. So that's probably where it's it's really you know, kind of a differentiated approach um, in terms of investment management and what works in the market versus what works in, in FPL. So yeah, it's certainly fascinating to kind of explore the different games. Um, um, and no, certainly- well, no, it's, well, it's interesting you mentioned the sort of the, the game aspect. I mean, I'm not sure I'm going to go as far as game theory, but it, clearly luck plays a part in, 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 I was going to say, everything we do. And therefore, I, I just think about um, uh, Michael Mobison in this sort of situation where luck and skill fits in. And, you know, you have the, the argument being that, um, you know, the, to show how much luck plays in, you, you turn around and say, well, how easy would it be if I was really good at this game to lose it? Um, and so for something like chess, you could be, you could, you could definitely do that. So therefore, chess is an incredibly skillful game. And then somewhere down the line, you know, you get to get to tennis, and then I don't know, uh, tic tac, or no, uh, t- toss a coin, which is essentially um, how we play with our vice captains, and seem always well, we seem to lose out between Son and Fernandez and Salah, <laughs> which comes down to luck. So in the positioning of that, fund management fits on that scale and then it's down to you and process and and then so i know you obviously yeah, we've talked about it before you before um uh, in terms of how, how you think deeply about that sort of the, the, the game and sport and and, and like how, how do you how do you look at that from a fund manager point of view yeah absolutely so i think you guys actually alluded to it early on in the podcast is for example in the son Salah debate, I think you 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 hit the nail on the head. I think you guys made a good decision. The probability was probably tilted in your favor. I happen to go for Salah. And again, I think <laughs> the odds in retrospect were probably tilted against me. Um, but it's 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 so common for us to look at a bad outcome and say we made a bad decision, right? So I think yeah. Annie Duke has been uh, so she's obviously a famous um, World, World Series poker player. She's written extensively on this topic. I think uh, also covered by previous guests on this podcast. So you know this kind of notion that um, we should distinguish between a good outcome and a good decision. And I think you know good decisions um, really are the ones that we can measure over time. So one of the things that we do is we document every decision that we make, and then we have a what's called an, an, an AAR, an after-action review. We sit down as a portfolio management team and we review the actions that we've taken over the last year, two, and three years because we're trying to measure really our probability of success in order to make better decisions in the future. So I think distinguishing still, um, skill and luck um, is extremely important, but it's not that easy because we're human after all. And it's, you know, when share prices go up, obviously we think we're fantastic. And when they go down, the market's given us a bad beat. I think for us, it's really about bringing it back to thinking in probabilistic terms and then being honest and holding each other accountable to that. And really our process is, is really centered around that is understanding our decision-making as much as it is in understanding uh, the investment market and the opportunity we're, we're obviously looking for. Can I just bring it back to process in sort of some ways and your your, your fund especially because, you know, um, your strategy, you know, just to sort of read off the literature, you're investing in endurable companies with sort of predictable cash generative business models. And the aim is to be sort of low, ter- low turnover. Yeah. When we set the, when, when we set this up, 
we felt the way to kind of justify our active fees was to to take hits. You know, that was our fee in sort of some ways. So we ended up probably, you know, with with a higher turnover. We were taking at the start churning, of the season. I think we were making, maybe, maybe the analogy churning, <laughs> a lot of churning and but not in a good way. But well, I mean, Jules has highlighted that the one stock or player that we've held on to just because we haven't been able to shift him out is Pickford. And we finally, you know, in terms of endurance, we finally got sort of rewarded for him at long last. Um, How, you know, in your strategy, is it sort of sometimes... How how psychologically do you sort of sort of sort of stay in touch with holdings when when performance is going against you and believe in their long term appeal? What you know? What how do you sort of sort of mentally sort of prepare for periods of underperformance, knowing that it should come good? I suppose um, it comes back to understanding where your edge is, right? So I think, for example, if I think about FPL. Yeah, I wouldn't put Pickford in because I don't think Everton have a particularly good um, defense. I would actually be looking for teams from Crystal Palace, for example, where actually structurally the defense is quite good. If we think about the investment world again, I would say, where is it that we're trying to compete? Where's our edge? We think we can find companies where they have more durability in their cash flows and those cash flows can compound long term. And so for us, it's really assessing, okay, what has changed to those cash flows and how has our outlook changed over that three and five year period? So for us, then, if we think about poor performance, poor performance is what we read in the company's 10K as opposed to what the market is telling us. In fact, what the market is telling us is what price it's willing to put on that right now. So we're trying to assess that value versus what we actually believe the fundamental performance of the company is. So I think for us, again, that edge is around developing what the companies are telling us, what's happening at the intrinsic level, what's happening to their competitive environment. And then really it's almost a completely separate discussion to say, well, what's the market putting, you know, what's the price and what's the appropriate price? Now, for us, yes, obviously, we know that high churn and high turnover is costly in the market. We've seen evidence of that. But really, for us, our turnover is more a function of where we think our edge is. Because if you think your edge is on the company's ability to compound those cash flows at a higher rate than, say, the market over a three- and five-year period, well, you actually have to hang around long enough to see those compound uh, those cash flows compound. And so I think for us, our turnover is, one, a function of understanding psychological behavior, our propensity to want to chase things when they move higher and not act when they move lower. For us, it's completely the opposite. We really want to see these cash flows compound long-term and we develop our edge around that. And then what that affords us is actually the ability to be patient. If you know there's a company that you think there's a sustainable competitive advantage, you think those cash flows are attractive and compounding, the cheaper the company gets, the more free cash flow we can bank from year one. And so for us, then we can be patient in terms of when we're willing to act. So in market environments like last year, for example, we have had above average um, turnover because we found some companies that previously were just uninvestable because of the value proposition just wasn't there that changed for us last year and so it depends on the market environment so i think for us it really i'd say churn should be a function of your philosophy and your age rather than necessarily hey we want to have low turnover because that's 
the desirable outcome. I think it's more uh, a function of your approach and your strategy. So that would kind of be the way we think about it in, 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 in the portfolio sense. Again, bringing this back to this podcast uh, in terms of FPL, you know, for me, I know I, I, don't, I really don't have enough time during the week. Um, and certainly growing up in South Africa, we had coverage of every single football match. So I was actually able to follow every single game. In the UK, it's amazing how little football we can actually see. Um compared to maybe you know other parts of the world and so for me it's more about understanding hey you know who's got an easier run of games um and where am i able to perhaps tilt the odds in my favor um and that's really kind of thinking about that decision making versus your edge and where you're looking to compete um and in the same vein again you know from our perspective if you then think about those long-term cash flows we're really not too fussed about expectations for the coming quarter or even the quarter after that, right? So that's not our edge. We're not trying to get ahead of that. Um, I will say this. I think, again, bringing this back to FPL, I think there's kind of a – it sounds like you guys are saying, you know, don't follow the crowd or because, you know, perhaps someone's scoring. I do think – and this is putting my sporting hat on – there is perhaps a bit of a hot hand effect. If someone's starting to find the back of the net, they probably know or they're more likely to find kind of the back of the net again next week or the week after. So perhaps that's one where I think in investment terms, form is a bit different to form in the sporting terms. Uh, I would perhaps be a bit more inclined to follow form in football. I'd be less inclined to follow form if that's based on the share price movements, much more mm. inclined to follow form if that's based on the underlying cash flows on that three and five year basis. So it's kind of, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating um, kind of debate that I, I think we're kind of having on both sides of, of the pew here, both FPL and on the investment side. I just love the I just love the fact that somewhere uh, the England goalkeeper John Pickford is blissfully unaware he's being used as an example of um, investment and asset management theory. And <laughs> uh, this, I, I mean, the ridiculous thing is going back to that. I I I, I hold my hand up for the, for the goalkeeper choices, but essentially we were looking for two two, two goalkeepers that meshed and that were reasonably cheap and that could take us forward maybe 10 weeks into the season and the idea was that uh, actually if you look back Everton theoretically had quite an easy run and the two games they didn't we could have um, we could have Michael Turner from from Forest in uh, and the, the biggest theory of course was that uh, Sean Dyke is renowned for marshalling great defences and making them measly and it shows that all this theory can come to this and we still end up with, with zero I guess I'm, I I guess I was looking at Sean Dyke as being the chief executive that was going to come in and turn things around and and uh, uh, sadly, some companies perhaps are beyond turning around. Maybe that's that. Uh, there we go. See how far we go for our analogies. Well, um, you, but, um, l- listening to you speak there, again, it sounds like you guys have given this more thought than I have. And unfortunately, <laughs> it's just to highlight that skill and luck in, in this game is is rather high. I, I'm certainly falling on, on the lucky side, it sounds like. Because well, it's... I don't think so, but I think that... I think what's going to happen next season is Anne and I are just going to get our children to throw darts at a, at, a, at a list of names and we'll pick the team that way and uh, and, and see what happens. Um, but um, the, there is, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of human aspects to this one. And, and you, you obviously working with your your co-managers, um, as it were, Anne and I are still learning to work together. We have a slight, we've always had slightly different approaches to, to, fancy, to fancy League and therefore trying to mesh these two together has been... Um, as being equals, I mean, God, it's not exactly as if a massive knockdown, drag out fights or anything like that. But it, as I say, we, we've yet to sort of seamlessly do it so that we then have a nice smooth flow going forward. We can make rather than us sort of chopping and changes and our decisions slightly just not quite gelling. Um, so how do you and your colleagues arrive at stock decisions and, and, and not argue? Well, do you argue? Maybe that's a good thing. 
Well, exactly. So I would say this. I mean, a bit of friction is actually healthy, I'd say, between the two of you. So don't be too too hard on, on each other. Um, I mean, I'd say this, right? So for us, I think there are non-negotiables when it comes to the principles and the fundamental philosophy uh, of the funds we manage together. So those non-negotiables are around the type of company that we look for, the management behavior, certainly the ESG risks as we think about the sustainability of those cash flows. Um, you know, there are certain non-negotiables that I think at the outset, when you're choosing kind of a partner, whether that's a marriage partner or a business partner, you know, those fundamental things, and they are effectively non-negotiable. So that's what really makes it um, uh, a very useful exercise is when we join together, we know fundamentally this is where we believe our edge is and these are the non-negotiables. But from there, disagreeableness is actually something that we value. We value that debate because it sharpens our opinion. It takes the other side. Um, again, this is a game of probability, right? So sure, we think the odds are tilted in our favor, but we should equally be able to and have the the intellectual integrity to take the downside case and really to try and test the magnitude. So for example, the type of debates that we typically have would be, yes, we're looking at a company, well, let's say we're looking at two companies. The one, for example, in terms of its competitive advantage might be that it has a very strong brand and customer loyalty, and another company might have network effects. And so as more customers join the network, the value of the, the, the network itself becomes Becomes more appealing, and so the debate for us is actually not whether these we should be looking at these companies. Often the debate is it's more of a relative conversation, and then understanding the merits of that. So, on that sense, we absolutely value disagree- disagreeableness and kind of, you know, really being able to take both sides of the equation. Um, and then finally, for us again, as as I, as I highlighted, that transparency. So all of our decisions are logged. We take a completely collegiate approach. I'm out of even investors um, on on a biweekly basis. Actually, we debate publicly uh, across the whole global team, um, kind of issues, opportunities, ideas, portfolio positioning. And so, again, it's about keeping that kind of uh, transparent culture for us. I think that that's very important. So we all know where we're trying to get to. We all know that there are certain principles and non-negotiables in place. But then from there, it's really a case of iron sharpening iron and kind of getting comfortable with that disagreeableness. I think for us, once that's your culture, what we find is – the uncomfortableness is actually someone not taking the other side or at least exploring, you know, where where might we be wrong? And so that's really something that we kind of relish. Um, so I'd say to both of you guys, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, get in a room and, and and figure it out. That's that's really the joy of it. Or we'll do it, keep doing it virtually. <laughs> <laughs> um now, obviously, you know, something that you don't have to contend with in sort of sort of fund management, but we're still going to try and draw some parallels between it anyway. Um, now, we've got an international break. We've got another one in November, which means no team to pick this weekend. Um, now, while for you sort of time, obviously, sort of never stands still on the fund, how are you able to switch off when you're not working, say weekends, evenings, or just on annual leave? How so we've you know effectively, you know, there's a relief for us. It's like, oh, we don't have to pick the team for a little weekend. I know Jules is gonna still be looking at it all and we will look out for like injuries and sort of stuff like that. But how are you able to sort of switch off when you're not running the fund? Well, it's a good question. Um, again, I think for us, it is something we prioritize because, you know, we are really in this for the long haul. So we want to manage our portfolios for 
for decades, if, if, you know, if possible. So we know we need to have a sustainable uh, kind of approach to keeping sharp and, and on top of things. Um, the reality is that I think certainly for someone like me, you know, this is very much a vocation of mine. So I absolutely love and it's a massive privilege to actually manage money. And we you know, certainly um, take it very seriously. And so even when I'm on holiday or on weekends, I am constantly exploring different ideas. Playing fantasy Premier League for me, it's kind of constantly drawing, drawing the parallels. And you know, you look at kind of the, the kind of best practitioners across most industries. You find that ultimately for them it is a vocation. Uh, my my in-laws are farmers. I go back home, and whether it's Christmas or Easter, they're really talking about the weather. They're talking about what's happening in the agricultural market. Those dynamics. I go back home to my own family, and my both my brothers are rugby coaches. My dad is a, is a, currently doing punditry work. You know, even on the days off, we're debating who's the best team ever, who's the you know the best player ever. It kind of it kind of doesn't stop. So I think in that sense. Um, me personally, my own experience, there really is no kind of switching off just because I love doing it so much. However, there's constantly drawing from different type of experiences. Uh, I was in Berlin two weekends ago um, r- 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 running a race there. And um, I'm in Berlin, you know, asking a taxi driver, supply demand dynamics, what's happening in the housing market, how are the regulations changing? You know, it's just, it's kind of a, a function of what we do. So I think it's more about thinking laterally uh, as a form of rest, I guess, as opposed to you really just getting stuck into research reports and, and 10Ks. Um, it's about getting different views and different perspectives as much as, as it is about you know, kicking up and kind of finding a beach somewhere. So there is absolutely a balance for us. And again, the way we've kind of set ourselves up out of Eve Investors with a co-portfolio model, it allows me to certainly go away with full trust and certainty that we have a team around us. You know, we're not going to, we're, we're not going to miss something. And actually it's in the best interest of all of us that we, that we take, you know, that we take leave. Uh, on the endurance fund, for example, my colleague, Richard Saldana, he's uh, on the West coast right now. He's attending a wedding on the weekend and I'm pretty sure he's, you know, he's not and i hope he's not staring at his bloomberg um or while he's there because we need him to come back fresh uh and ready right so yeah i think it's about finding that balancing act but when when you do what you love uh, at the end of the day you're, you're you're invariably coming back to that hobby and that passion excellent thank you for that possible. um we're heading towards a, a final question but i'm just going to nip in and go off piece because i i do get the sense that football might if it was if you asked to name your favorite sport i'm guessing football wouldn't be wouldn't be it so you've got an interesting weekend coming up in the world cup rugby world cup extraordinary situation where you've got you know what i think most people's um would see as the semi-finals are actually taking place over two quarterfinals the four far and away best teams um and obviously ireland against the against the all blacks and then uh, and, and then on Sunday night, you've got the hosts against presumably your team. How do you how are you feeling about that? And and, and can you can can your dad's old mob uh, do the job on the hosts? <laughs> well, certainly, uh, blind belief will have me uh, certainly say yes. Um, yeah, again, I think there's a fascinating showcase, right? So my dad is a historically an attack coach, and so the idea is to score more points than the opposition. Um, and that's the way we kind of grew up is attack, 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 right? Score more tries, uh, kind of think about Jurgen Klopp kind of model, or even a Pep Guardiola, keep the ball. Um, however, so that the South African team, just by a a, a function of kind of who we are and the players we've got, it's set up much more around defense, much more around physicality, thinking more around kind of that Jose Mourinho model is, Hey, you might 
you know, we're, we're going to keep you at bay. You're not going to score a goal. We might only nick one, but that's really kind of how we tilt the odds in our favor. And so it's fascinating for me, again, to think about the World Cup and thinking about what are the odds of success now? And I think, you know, fantastic running teams, Ireland, the All Blacks, even the French to some extent, um, although I think they're probably a bit more balanced, um, you know, they're really trying to to outplay you. Whereas our model is to say, well, okay, good luck. We're only going to perhaps score 15 or 20 points, but we're going to keep you, if we can, less than 10 points, right? So I think it's quite a fascinating um, kind of to see those models applied uh, again, thinking about that risk reward and whether this is a winner's game or a loser's game. So I'm optimistic. Uh, again, in rugby, you'd be surprised how much luck um, there is involved. The, the, obviously, the, the sort of ball itself isn't round. So the, you know, the, the kind of variability around just the, the bounce of the ball is quite high. There is also more gray areas than you'd think when it comes to refereeing decisions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the French team are playing at home. That absolutely uh, influences things, uh, as it does in all sports. Um, again, as an Arsenal fan, when we when we travel up to Manchester or Liverpool, uh, I can tell you stories over the years, right? <laughs> so we, we've all been there. Um, but yeah, it's been a fantastic tournament, and uh, and hopefully the box can go all the way. But even if not, I mean, it's been it's been great to watch. Oh, I, I, again, we really appreciate the fact that even when we ask you a rugby question, you bring it back to football terms. You really are playing playing the game for us. So thank you so much. <laughs> um, this one you're not going to have to try because it is purely about football. As you say, you're, you are an Arsenal fan. Uh, we always like to finish up by asking our guests um, for any um, top tips. Um, head for our watch list. It's a bit different, of course, because you know we, you know, we, we've had the uh, the the Salibas and the and, and the Sackers, and um, you know, would be the obvious ones. But we're maybe thinking a bit more uh, uh, creatively. Who else should we be looking at? Well, I mean, to Adam, I'd say don't pick any Arsenal fans. I don't think it's worth <laughs> it to uh, to see Arsenal, you know, players rack up points. If uh, it's probably more important, certainly to me, I've got two Spurs players in right now, and actually. I, I don't like it, right? So I feel a bit uncomfortable <laughs> by, by Spurs keeping clean sheets, but the fixture list looks looks pretty kind. Um, in terms of Arsenal, it's it's not that easy, and I'll tell you why. Because I think um, Arteta's, you know, he's probably taking one out, out of Pep's book that we've kind of experienced over the last couple of years. Is you don't quite know which team he's going to put out. He's rotating heavily, and even the the penalty takers. I think that's probably why Saka's ownership is going down. I think the assumption going into the season that he's England's you know kind of penalty taker and, and for Arsenal, and he, they've been they've been passing the ball around. Odegaard, uh, who you mentioned, has had a good week. Um, a couple of those have been penalties over the last couple of weeks. So, I think from an attacking perspective, if Saka's fit to play. He's probably going to contribute points above average um, during the full course of the season. So I'd keep him on the watch list for you guys. And then I definitely think the Arsenal defence is is um, is probably misunderstood. Uh, I think the defence is much better than most people believe. So someone like like Ben White or Saliba, who you guys have, I think they're very likely to play lots of football this season. Um, and I think they're probably likely to keep a, a whole bunch of clean sheets too. So I'd probably say, you know, if you're trying to balance the outcome where you're trying to maximize points, you need players to play. I'd say Saka, White, Saliba, um, not necessarily in that order, are probably all going to be pretty good value for you long term. Excellent. Thank you. Certainly not the goalkeeper situation, which we we, we, oh, <laughs> we don't know what's going on with that one. 
and burnt mm-hmm. by Gabriel at the start of the season. You know, nobody saw nobody saw that coming. I think he was one of the most, you know, he would have been in all of the benchmark. He was in the benchmark at the start of the season. I mean, it's interesting you bring up the point about Arsenal. You know, I've been playing this sort of, I, you know, in various guises now for about 25 odd years and I've learned that you can't have loyalty in this game and I think we have sort of we have sort of discussed it but it does it does sort of pinch at you in situations like the North London derby where you know years gone by you know you might have Henri in your team and he's stuck one in and you're part of you is dying and another part of you is fist punching because you know he's got you up the league it sort of does it, it, it does sort of split your loyalties in sort of some ways but yeah I know people who play this game who will steadfastly not put any rivals in their team and I, I just think that's a recipe for disaster in sort of some ways especially when you just look at how well Arsenal have been doing um, Odegaard is sort of big back in you know, and now, now I, I sort of know there was a large slice, slice of luck, but then if Martinelli comes back, we we sold Martinelli a couple of weeks ago, but I don't know what his fitness is like, but maybe he'll be coming back on our radar again. Yeah, and he's great fun as well. I mean, that, that's the thing. I, I I I try and make it a rule that I try and put as many people that I really like to watch. So you know, we're looking, waiting for this this Spurs run to come, and for a, for the defence, and and they're just thinking, no, actually, I'm not picking you, doggy. I just really like Poro. So again, mm. so that he goes in. Um, I'm not sure it's the same quite with with Gabriel, but um, it certainly is with Martinelli. I'm looking at that one for sure. But Gabriel now, because he's dropped so much at 4.7, for mm. I just think it's so good, and and it's also perhaps, and we could do one final analogy. I could be overthinking this, but I, th- I think the theory was, wasn't it, that with Zinchenko injured, um, Arte didn't trust um, Gabriel to play on the on the left side, and fit, you know when when uh, the, the the one of the backs goes in, inverted into midfield. So party was doing it instead of Zinchenko. Now Zinchenko's back. That isn't such a problem for uh, for Gabriel. So I think 4.7 million really irritated that one of my closest rivals in, in my other big league picked him up in his wild cards because you're thinking that's just 4.7 million for a, you know, you 5.5 cheaper than Saliba now. So looking at that very hard, I think that's going to be going to be a, a good one, to, good one to shoot for as well. Yeah, absolutely. I like the. Um, yeah, sorry, and the only other thing that I've been uh, flirting with is this idea of how to use Trossard. Um, mm-hmm. Because when he plays, he scores. Um, you would think that actually he'd play more. Um, however, again, if you think from a from a fantasy football perspective, um, you know, he often doesn't play. So if you have a strong bench with a high probability of playing, then you can probably use him to good effect. Uh, and in particular, if you think about how Arteta uses him, right, he often comes on not to kind of shut up shop but to really kind of find that 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 equalizer so if he does play he's on there specifically you know to 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 score goals and kind of so that is quite a kind of interesting use case again where because you've got the bench dynamic in football he's the kind of player where sure you actually might be quite comfortable because he's not going to get two points he might get zero points or hopefully get a you know get 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 a goal or two yeah, and there's that change. Yeah, and there is that change. I think that we're looking at in fantasy sort of football in sort of some ways that you know, now that these games have been going on longer, you know, games going into like a hundred minutes and sort of injury time. You know, there, there used to be a sort of sense that you would look at the the lineup and see Trossard wasn't playing and be a, a sense of doom. Great, I've got a guy in my team who's not playing. But actually, you you know, in theory, you could have Trossard coming on against sixty minutes against the tired de- against the tired defence. 
all out attacking and I think all of a sudden there might we might have to start sort of rethinking the way that we think about these guys who come off the bench because you know they that they they could be gold going forward yeah I completely agree although again <laughs> Arteta seems to be tinkering quite a bit so I think the probability yeah. there changes maybe someone like Roy Hodgson or a uh, uh, Sean Dyke are probably safer bet in terms of getting accumulating points every week. So kind of just to throw that into the mixer. No, definitely. But I do like the white pick because he was FPL gold about two years ago. I think, you know, you could use to pick Ben White up for about four, sort of 4.5 million. And I think in sort of some ways he's become the forgotten asset in some ways as people look at Saliba, sort of Gabriel and sort of sort of Zinchenko. But, you know, he is, he, you know, in, in, in a state of He's 0.5 more. That's the problem. That's what's caused, yeah. the, that's what's caused everyone to think. But yes, where he links up so brilliantly when he and Saka are both firing, then that is, um, they, they, they just, you know, but, and maybe this is another angle we should do this on time is the partnerships the way that you know people yeah. like Martinelli and Jesus seem to bring out the best in each other and White and Saka bring out the best in each other and maybe we should be looking at those because suddenly one person's away and that just has a knock-on effect on the, on the on the productivity of the other no no definitely definitely now listen uh, you know, as already discussed this weekend is an international break so unlike previous pods we're not going to go into our plans for the next game week we're just going to see how the games international games play out cross our fingers that all our players return back from their respective camps fully fit going into game week nine uh, that said we will be recording a new pod next week in which we're going to be joined by managing director of Chelsea Financial Services and famed Chelsea fan Darius McDermott to help us review our season so far and look forward to the next number of game weeks and I'm sure he's going to make a case for a number of Chelsea assets um, maybe not Jackson though because we've been burned heavily quite by that and yet him and Sterling de- delivered in the last game week as a as an extra sort of um, finger up to the team um, so now it just leaves me to thank our guest Francois for coming on today thank you so much for giving us your time you're most welcome it's been it's been a lot of fun Jules a pleasure as always Always so kind of you to keep saying that, whether it's true or not. But um, great, great as always, Adam. Many thanks, Francois. And as ever, a big thank you to everybody tuning in and enjoy the time off that is the international break. Goodbye.